What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, March 29th. It's about 6.30 today, and we are getting it going here. We actually just got off a call with William Glasser, who you will be hearing from in about 15 minutes. We're going to put this interview right smack in the middle of this of this podcast. So yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy this interview. It was, it was a great time. Will's an awesome guy. So um, you guys will be hearing from him and he is also a sports guy and kind of, we get some Marvel talk in there too. So for you got free Marvel fans out there, we have that there for you, Matt, what's going on with you? Uh, it's, 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 we're coming to the end of an era here for the, for the March, for the March madness tournament. Um, it's with the final four is set, which is good. It's going to, it's going to be one of the best, probably in the history of our lives, uh, just with the storylines and the teams and the players and the coaches and the history and everything. So, uh, yeah, so it was, it was definitely a great tournament. Obviously not, you know, we're talking like it's over. It's not even close to over yet. We still got three more games left and they're the biggest games of the tournament. So definitely excited for that this coming, this coming weekend. Um, so yeah. So, but today we're kind of going to just talk about, because obviously the last time we talked uh, on here, you know, about college basketball, there were still 16 teams left and there's only four. So, so we got, we got a lot of games to go over a lot of, a lot of uh, upsets and a lot of a lack thereof. Um, and then, uh, and then after, and then like Hayden said, we'll have the, we'll have the interview with William on, uh, you know, kind of, you know, in the middle of this. And then after the interview, uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of NBA, a lot of updates. We haven't talked about NBA in a, in a while here. And there's been some, been some shakeup, especially in the East uh, with all those, all, all you Boston fans. So, uh, so we'll get to that definitely afterwards. And so, yeah, so let's get into it. Alrighty. That's right. Let's get right into college basketball here. So obviously the final four is set and we've got a Duke North Carolina matchup, which is crazy. It's going to be the fourth time that they're playing this season. They played twice during the regular season, once in the conference tournament, and then they're going to be playing again in the, um, in the final four here, which is so fitting. I feel like, um, or, or not really fitting, honestly, once we get into the, into the thick of things here, we're going to talk about how this tournament maybe like the weirdest tournament that we've ever had um, in terms of, you know, so many upsets happening. And then we just have four blue bloods in the, in the final four here. And then the other two final four teams are Villanova and Kansas. So again, you know, teams that are used to being in the final four used to being here in, in, in this situation. And so I think it'll be, it'll definitely be a, a final four worth watching because, you know, if, if we had a team like St. Peter's in there, that is cool to watch, but I think that we all know that if St. Peter's would have gotten to the final four, they probably would have gotten crushed, especially if they were playing a team like Duke. And so, again, I, I think that, you know, with all the upsets that were happening in this tournament and with all the hype surrounding them, I think it's still kind of it's, it's still going to be fun to watch with, you know, even with these blue bloods that are that we see almost every year in the in the final four. But it is there is something to say for for these teams that weren't really coming into the tournament too hot, especially the team like Duke. Um, you know, Duke's one of those teams that I have been high on recently after watching them in the, in the tournament, but I feel like everybody else hasn't been high on them. Duke was one of those teams that, right, like they, you know, they, they lost against North Carolina in their last home game and Coach K yelled at his students for, for kind of um, cheering or, or booing or whatever. Like he, he basically yelled at his students and was like, okay, we're going to get this straight. We're going to, 
go into the tournament and and you know play our hardest and give it our all. And I think that's what they're gonna, that's that's what they're doing. I think I said it on a past podcast that Duke has really just put their heads down here and they've they've played. You know, Coach K, he's not he's not a softy. He's not gonna go out without a fight. And we all knew that that was gonna happen. I didn't pick the, I didn't pick Duke to go to my final four in you know my actual actual bracket. I actually have all of my I had all my final four teams out by uh by the elite eight i think it was like halfway through the sweet 16 i had all of my final four teams out so gonzaga was my last final four team alive and then they lost against arkansas in the sweet 16 so yeah i my bracket i haven't i've like haven't even looked at it in the past week or so so and i'm not gonna look at it anymore because there's no point to um but matt and i actually have our have done our second chance brackets on espn and we did 25 of them each and we joined a little group together. And so we are kind of comparing those um, as more of our brackets now because our actual brackets are, are just absolutely tarnished. So I do have two, out of, I think it's two out of, or maybe it's three. I think, I think it's three out of my 25 second chance brackets. I actually have um, three of the final four teams, right three out of the four final four teams were right. So I think that I kind of got a feel of who was going to be good in this, in this tournament after the sweet 16 or after, I guess the, the round of 32 going into the sweet 16, I think it was a little bit easy to see who was going to be really good. Houston was obviously a huge surprise, you know, beating Arizona and, and sort of, you know, sort of coming close with, with Villanova there in the elite eight, but, but yeah, I think that like other than that, you know, Villanova is not really a surprising team. If you think about it, Kansas is not a surprising team at all. They're, they were the one seed in their region. North Carolina is really the biggest surprise here, obviously. Um, but you can't even really say that they're a surprise because they were coming off that regular season win against Duke. Um, and how can you not be how can you not be on, on a high, you know, coming off of a win at Duke? That's that's pretty crazy there. So I've kind of been all over the map here. I'm going to give Matt a chance to go over his thoughts. Well, first of all, let's address the uh, the biggest upset or at least the biggest disappointment of the entire tournament, which is Gonzaga losing to Arkansas in the Sweet 16 game. And I don't want to say that we predicted it, but we kind of predicted it even before the season started. We came on this podcast in like November. All right. And we said, hey, here's the deal. Gonzaga is going to, they're going to look good. They're going to be the best team. They're being the number one overall seed. They're going to win their regular season conference. They're going to win their conference tournament and they're going to, you know, they're going to be a one seed and they're going to be the favorites to win the championship. And all of that happened. And then we said what the next, what's the next step, right? What's the logical next step for a Gonzaga team is always how early are they going to lose? Now we had last year, they got to the championship game and then lost by like 25 to Baylor. 2017, they got to the championship game. They lost by like 25 to UNC. So they've been here before, all right? They've they've gotten to the final four. They've even gotten to the championship game in two out of the last four years. But in the years that they haven't done that, they haven't even come close to the final four. And arguably, they haven't gotten to the final four in the championship game with their better teams, all right? So, yes, last year, I would would agree, is probably one of the best teams I've ever had. And, and again, they still lost by 20 points. So that's been the narrative with this Gonzaga team, and it's exactly what happened again. We saw them get scared a little. Well, first of all, their first game against the 16th seed, Georgia State, all right, they're losing at halftime. 
Are you kidding me? Now, they won the game by like 30 points. So fine. They made some hash pan adjustments. Okay, fine. Second game, Memphis. Memphis was up by 10 at halftime. And Drew Timmy went off in the second half. And he carried Gonzaga to a victory there. Memphis could have easily beaten Gonzaga in that game. What's the next game? Arkansas. Arkansas was winning the whole game. Like, it was a close game. Yeah, they went back and forth. But you could see that Arkansas wanted it more. You could see that they were more talented. They just, they were playing better. So that's that's just my take on this is I, I don't really know kind of how to how to phrase all of it. But I guess, you know, it, the, the point is that at some point, we need to stop just assuming that Gonzaga is the best team in the country just because they have a good record. And just because they get the number one team, number one uh, rated recruit in the country, that doesn't mean that they're going to win the championship. Okay, so so that's kind of where I'm at with Gonzaga now. And I even mentioned before the tournament, I said, look, there's a conspiracy here that we can very likely point out to the fact that the Gonzaga's in the West Coast Conference. Okay, with teams like Santa Clara, and and like other teams that I don't even know because I don't know who they play like Pacific. All right. So that type of stuff where they're not playing teams that are on their, on their level, on their caliber. So I think what the NCAA tournament did was they were like, okay, we're going to give, we're going to put three teams from the West coast conference in the tournament this year to make Gonzaga look like they actually had some competition during the regular season, but clearly they didn't because what happened to those teams? San Fran, the 10 seed playing Murray State, got beaten overtime. St. Mary's, they beat they beat Indiana, who was the play-in team, so they were tired. Cool. St. Mary's wins that game. They, use, they lose to UCLA by 30 points, all right? So this conference as a whole is just not what it's stacked up to be, and I hope that this was some sort of showing to the committee, to whoever makes these decisions, that, like, Going forward, if Gonzaga is not going to be able to move to a power conference to where, like, they can get run over by Arizona every once in a while, maybe we should just put them on a lower seed, right, or something. And, again, I guess I guess overall the point of March Madness is to have madness, and so if your number one overall seed loses, well, that's kind of the point of March Madness, right? But at the same time, what type of legacy are we creating for Gonzaga? And Mark Few, a coach who's been there for you know 25 years and, and built that program from the, ground, from the ground up, and, and he's had some good years, but now they're always just looked at as a, as a failure. So there's a weird in-between here where I'm kind of – I'm done with all the you – know, with all the, the you know, unnecessary praise for Gonzaga teams that just don't actually end up performing. But on the other side, I'm looking out for a Gonzaga team who – always gets too much hype and can't deliver, but you can't expect them to always deliver. So it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a balance there for me. Um, and that, that was kind of my rant on Gonzaga. And obviously, you know, right. It, 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 they're, they didn't even make it to the elite eight um, and Duke won that region. So, so that's pretty much it there. One thing I did want to go back on the Hayden mentioned, this would be obviously he said North Carolina and Duke playing for the third time this season or fourth time, right? Did they play yeah, once I think season? it is fourth time. Fourth time this season. The craziest part is, and these are, God, again, probably the, the two of the most storied programs in the history of college basketball. They've never played each other in the NCAA tournament before. As many games and, and, and championships and final fours that these teams have made, which I think UNC has made like 17 final fours and Duke's made like, you know, 15 or something like some crazy numbers. Um, 
even just in years where they've been, you know, kind of lower seeds, they never played in the NCAA tournament before. So this is just going to be like, and of course, the one time they do plays in a final four game, like, are you kidding me? So it's just like peak storylines for, you know, for media coverage and all that. Um, but I do think that, you know, they are the teams that are playing the best. They won their regions for a reason. They beat competitive good teams you know that's another thing is that kind of when you get to this point in the season you're thinking or this this point in the bracket you're kind of like well you know were there just a bunch of upsets along the way you know like obviously unc played saint peter's in the elite eight game but they beat the one seed baylor who were the defending champions maybe they beat the four seed ucla who looked like they can make a run and who were also in the final four last year all right so on this run unc has beaten two of the final four teams from last year um and then you have Duke, who just right as Hayden said, after the after the regular season ended, after the conference tournament, they lost to to Virginia Tech. Um, they turned it around, and and they truly do. They they came into the tournament as the most talented team in the country with potentially five first round picks in their starting lineup, and now they're actually showing it. Which is, you know, this is usually what happens to Kentucky. Usually they're like kind of, you know, they 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 don't do well in the regular season. They come into the tournament and somehow just figure it all out. That's happening right now with Duke. So, uh, so yeah, and, and they beat some great teams. They beat, uh, you know, they beat Tom Izzo, Michigan State. You beat Texas Tech and their, you know, number one ranked defense. And then you beat Arkansas, who just slayed the Giants and Gonzaga. So, I definitely, you know, definitely deserve the props there. Over on the other side of the bracket, I kind of expected – uh, you could see the writing on the wall. It, it, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the resident betting expert here. Uh, Houston actually closed as favorites against Arizona. Yeah. So it wasn't even really an upset to begin with, you know, which is kind of crazy. And obviously I had Arizona winning the championship. I thought they were going to do everything. But when you get a team that rebounds like Houston does, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's bad news for everybody. And again, Houston had two, they lost, they didn't have two of their three best players for the entire season. Can you imagine what that team would be doing right now? Um, I would have loved to see that, to see that happen. Happen. But obviously Villanova deserves it. Um, they lost Justin Moore, though, uh, who was basically their second best player behind Colin Gillespie. Gillespie, and, and he, I feel bad for the kid. Like Justin Moore, he tore, his, he tore his Achilles with like a minute and a half to go when they were up by like you know seven points against yeah. Houston. So uh, he's going to be a big loss. Go ahead, Aiden. Yeah, yeah, he was. It was like the same exact injury that Kevin Durant had at the Warriors. It was and almost on the same like, like part of the court too. It was kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. It was the same part. Like I saw, I saw a video of it when it, you know, when it first happened, and and then I, I put it, or I, I guess I kind of like put it side by side in my head with the Kevin Durant video, and then I looked up the Kevin Durant video, and it's literally like the same exact thing. It's just one is Kevin Durant's leg and one is Justin Moore's leg. It's yeah, like it's nuts. And it's you can see the, the you know, the pop of the calf and everything. So that's textbook Achilles. So, again, like Matt said, that's going to that's going to be tough for Villanova. But, you know, hopefully they'll hopefully they can at least give Kansas some kind of run for their money and maybe even make it to the championship. I still have Villanova. Um, I still have Villanova in the championship with with Duke and I have Duke winning it all. So, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that was kind of the, the one region that I missed was Kansas in that Midwest, and it gets a, it gets a little it gets a little tough because before when I was talking about UNC and Duke kind of playing really good teams and beating really good teams on their road to the Final Four, Kansas is a little bit of the opposite there. You had a you had a close game at Creighton, you know, but that's Creighton, and then you played Providence, who was hot, but again. It's Providence. They were in the Big East. They won the Big East. Okay, congratulations. We've been saying all year, though, they're kind of fraudulent because how many close games they won. So, you know, you kind of got a good draw there. And then you played you played the 10-seed Miami. And, yeah, Miami was 
you know, they, they were on a roll and, and I believe they could have won that game. They were actually up by like six at halftime and they lost the game by 27 points. You see that second half box score. It was like 47 to 15. Are you kidding? Yeah, me? it was. Yeah, it, it was 37 to 15 that yeah. that Kansas outscored them. And it, it, again, like Miami in that first half looked so good. They, you know, they were kind of playing exactly how they've played all tournament long. They were for, forcing turnovers, pickpocketing guys right off the bounce. It, it, yeah, it was just like. It was textbook Miami basketball in that first half. And then second half, Bill Self and Kansas just came out and they just absolutely went crazy. You know, they 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 went blue blood on them, as we say. So yeah, that's that's uh that that happened there. And again, I was I had Miami in my second chance bracket, um, which again is is the bracket that ESPN does from the Sweet 16 on, where you can kind of restart. I had Miami in my final four. I thought Miami was gonna beat Kansas. And so after that first half, I was I was feeling good. And then uh, watching that second half, I actually didn't watch much of it because after the first 10 minutes, it was, you know, Kansas was already up by like 12. So I was just like, all right, I'm not going to watch this anymore. So, yeah. And so that's kind of where I was going with this whole Kansas thing is like they've had a pretty easy run to the final four here. And, you know, you look at a team like Villanova who, yeah, they beat an 11 seed in Michigan State to get to the Elite Eight, but like, or sorry, Michigan. Um, but Michigan yeah. was good. They were playing like a top four seed, right? And so you had, you know, they had a tough win over Ohio State. Then you beat Michigan. So you kind of ran through the Big Ten there. And then you face a Houston team who was hot as anybody in the country. And, and, and with how defensively minded and just big and tough and physical that Houston team was, Villanova was like, all right, cool, whatever. We're just going to win the game. They were up by like eight points the entire game. You know, there was one time where Houston got close, but other than that, they didn't look like they could do anything. And this was coming off of Houston, who who was who beat Arizona, you know, basically the second favorite to win the championship. And they they were they were winning that game by double digits almost the entire time. I was watching the Houston-Arizona game because I was like, you know what? And here's what I did is actually I bet on Houston because I was like, all right, if Houston beats Arizona, then I can at least win some money on Houston. And then I won't be as sad that, you know, that my champion Arizona gets out so quickly. Um, so I was kind of rooting for both teams there, but, but yeah, I was watching that game. I was just like, dude, can Arizona even be competitive right here? Uh, they weren't. And so, and so, but, but that just kind of proves how good and solid of a team that Villanova is. And, and really, you know, are, are we even surprised because of how, you know, how good and solid the Villanova teams have been over the past few years, they won the championship in 2016. They won the championship again in 2018. Here they are in the final four. Again, obviously they kind of lost their second best player there, but that's, that's kind of my argument here is like Duke and UNC on the left side of the bracket, both have, you know, run through their brackets. They've gone through the gauntlet. They've played the best teams in their region and they're playing the best basketball right now. And so that's going to be a matchup of two teams who, as we saw that crazy game at Duke earlier, you know, to end out the regular season, uh, you know, where UNC went in there and scored like 90 something points. I think it's going to be similar here where you have these, both these teams are just playing so well. Uh, and then you kind of, on the other side, you have a team in Villanova who, they are probably playing the best basketball in the country, unfortunately lost their second best player, but they're matching up against a team in Kansas who, yeah, Kansas was the most talented team in their region. And they basically got through their region on talent alone. Um, and yeah, they, they did win those games by significant margins, but at the same time, they haven't really faced the type of competition that all three of the other teams did. So that's why I think both of these games are going to be so good is, is the simple fact that, you know, right. On the, on, you know, on the left side with UNC and Duke, they're playing the best basketball they possibly can on the right side. Villanova's down a guy, but Kansas hasn't really faced any competition. I think it, it sets itself up for two amazing games on Saturday. Yeah, we actually 
twice got the amount of matchups that Duke and North Carolina have played um, this season wrong. It's at, it is actually three. So I, I messed up first and then Matt kind of got four from me and said that it was four matchups that they've played. It, it is actually three. They didn't play in the conference tournament. That was my bad for saying that, because if you guys recall, um, Duke lost to Virginia tech in the championship and UNC lost to lost to Virginia tech in the semifinals of the ACC well, tournament. I thought they might've even played twice in the regular season. Cause like Virginia played Duke twice in the regular season. So I yeah. just didn't know if UNC had played Duke twice in the regular season too. Yeah, no, they, they did play him twice in the regular season, but not, they didn't play him in the conference. Oh yeah, yeah. I see what, you, yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. So it will be their third matchup of the year, but that's probably going to wrap it up for college basketball talk again. You know, we kind of just gave our thoughts on the final four and, and the, Sweet 16 slash Elite Eight and how those panned out and how we kind of think these final four teams are ramping up slash kind of just, you know, staying stagnant um, coming into the final four here. And it'll be interesting to see what happens this coming weekend. Alrighty, everybody. Today on First Down Rundown, we have a special guest, William Glasser from Substantiate Hypothetical Sports Matchups podcast. He's also a a sports blog writer as well. And yeah, we uh, we just kind of connected through the internet, and now here we are, and we, we're both sports guys. Um, all three of us are sports guys, so that's what we're going to be talking about today with Will. Will, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, thanks for the glamorous introduction, Hayden. Uh, I am William Glasser. I host the Substantiate podcast, and basically over there, I talk about hypothetical sports matchups. So usually taking like athletes from one sport and how would they compete playing another sport or fictional characters or even historical figures. Uh, I've had episodes like Tiger Woods versus Steph Curry playing golf, Uh, you know, MLB players playing handball. And uh, recently I even did U.S. presidents playing soccer. So kind of covering all kinds of things over there, but sticking to that hypothetical uh, matchups theme. And that comes out every other week on Wednesdays. And I've also done some writing for uh, for the statementgames.com blog. And there it's basically kind of game day previews to, uh, you know, get ready for whether it's an NFL game, NBA, MLB, uh, hoping to get back, writing a bit more there as the MLB season approaches. That's awesome, man. Now, you said you've had a podcast since 13 years old. You know, tell us more about that and, and kind of what your inspiration was to start that early on. Yeah, so uh, I am 15 now. So when I was 13, it was 2020. Uh, School gets out in June, and now I have a summer with nothing to do, basically, because everything was canceled. So all of a sudden, got a ton of free time, and my mom encouraged me to do something with the time. So one day, applying to colleges and stuff, and they asked, well, hey, what did you do during that big time when you couldn't do anything? Uh, You know, I can say that I created something and started something, and... Uh, you know, here we are a year and a half later or so, and still going strong. That's really cool. And it's uh, it's funny how sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes your mom is, is kind of the person who ends <laughs> up being it. You know, you saw those, saw those questions on the college applications, and you're like, man, 
she was right again. <laughs> so, uh, so that's pretty funny there. So you, you mentioned that you were a huge fan of New York sports teams. Uh, and I know that you live in Canada right now. So kind of talk about what your relationship is with, you know, with New York and, and, and kind of, you know, why you like the teams and how you, how you think the teams are doing now and just kind of, you know, how you're able to even, you know, take in sports and just watch sports all the way up there in Canada. Yeah. So when I was younger, you know, when, from when I was born to just about that time when I started the podcast, I lived in Bergen County, New Jersey, which is right next to New York City. Um, so right there, you know, where I lived, we were like an 11 minute drive from Yankee Stadium without traffic. Awesome. So, you know, get the $10 seats up in the upper decks and, you know, it was pretty easy to drive over there. And so then when I moved to Toronto uh, in the middle of the pandemic, I mean, I've been to a few Toronto games and, you know, they have some fun teams here, but I was always a Yankees fan, a New York Giants fan, and not a huge hockey guy, but starting to get more into it, especially here in Canada. So I'm a Rangers fan. And you know, when I was starting to get into basketball, neither the Knicks nor Nets were really any good, so sort of gravitated towards LeBron. So right now, on the Lakers bandwagon, but I'm not sure you can call that a bandwagon right now, but uh, <laughs> but that's where we're at. Yeah, man, you, you mentioned the Lakers there, and uh, that was actually one of our planned questions for today, which is to kind of, you know, switch over to the Lakers and kind of, you know, what's your take on the roller coaster that this season has been, you know, the Lakers haven't really been what they expected to be, especially with LeBron bringing in all these superstars, you know, such as well, Russell Westbrook and, you know, Anthony Davis has been riddled with injuries and everything like that. So, you know, what do you think their, their season has been? What do you think that, you know, has been kind of the, the, the reason for their downfall this season. What do you think about Russell Westbrook? I think that's probably a big topic that a lot of people are, are looking for here. We actually talked about this a little bit, um, a little bit earlier in the year, but we want to get your take on it as well. You know, kind of the whole Russell Westbrook situation and if he actually helps, helps the team or if he, you know, is, is kind of uh, not helping the team at all. And so, yeah, just, just kind of talk about your, your thoughts on the Lakers this season and kind of where, they're going to go from here. Yeah, totally. So let's start. Let's look at what have the Lakers done right in the LeBron era. So he comes over his first season in 2018-2019. They were, you know, they were an okay team. Lots of young players. LeBron gets hurt. They miss the playoffs. 2020, they make the big trade for Anthony Davis, and LeBron stays healthy. Anthony Davis stays healthy. They got a nice three months off to heal up also and rest, and then they go into the bubble and win. And then after that, then we come to 2021. And after this, the Lakers made some pretty good roster moves in the offseason. They bring in guys like Dennis Schroeder. They, you know, they're able to keep many key players parts of the team while letting go other parts, right? They let go of Rajon Rondo, uh, Avery Bradley, who, although he didn't make it to the bubble, is gone. But, you know, they're able to keep many parts. And, I mean, obviously there's the Danny Green trade too, which I believe may have brought in draft picks. I forget what they—or no, that was for Schroeder. Um, 
And so, you know, they work it. They have a good roster. The first, like, I don't know, 30 games, they had a really good record. They were playing really well. I want to say they were like 25 and 7, something like that. And then LeBron gets hurt, Anthony Davis gets hurt, and it's all downhill from there. Fast forward, then we have this year. And the roster this year had complete turnover from 2020, except for three players. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Taylor Horton Tucker, who didn't play on or much in the playoffs in 2020. So... Right, there's almost no continuity. We let go of, or we don't re-sign the guy I'm wearing a shirt of, Alex Caruso, who goes off to uh, Chicago and <laughs> playing really well there right now. A big fan of Alex Caruso. And just the team as a whole, we go out and we make the Westbrook trade. And on paper, you might be able to say it makes sense. But realistically, there's a salary cap in the NBA. So what happens is, right, we got the three top players, AD, LeBron, and Westbrook, and everyone else seemingly is on a veteran's minimum contract. So there's like no middle class on the Lakers right now. And that's really what's happening. There have been a couple bright spots, but even so, you know, Still, some players like Taylor Horton Tucker, who they've held on to, hasn't blossomed into what they thought he might become so far. So definitely uh, a, not the greatest year for the Lakers, despite LeBron's scoring uh, or proficient scoring. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about the Lakers on the podcast so far, and specifically, you know, LeBron, because, right, it just seems like, you know, obviously, right, he had the championships with Miami, he had the championship with Cleveland, and so kind of wherever he's gone, he's been able to build the quote-unquote super team, uh, but nonetheless... It always just kind of seems like I think besides that run in Miami, it's been like, you know, one year and then that's it. You know, and the rest of the time it's him, you know, and the general manager trying to pull together some sort of roster that has some semblance of, like you were saying, kind of a, a, a good hierarchy of, you know, star talent mixed with middle class guys mixed, mixed with veterans. Um, and and it's never really worked out besides kind of the one year, obviously, in Cleveland and, and then in, uh, in L.A. So, um yeah, so that, and I think you diagnosed it perfectly. I'd never even really thought about that whole classification thing where obviously, you know, obviously, right, you know, every team has a salary cap. And, and then, you know, with the veterans minimum, you said the middle class. I love that how you broke that down because it is very true. Um, and I think, too, you know, it's, it's good to have stars, but when those stars are, when those stars kind of like became stars because they all kind of do the same thing it doesn't end up really working out, right? I mean, a, a ball dominant, you know, guard or people who bring the ball up, you know, LeBron and, and Russell Westbrook, like they they play a similar game. They're powerful guys. They go in, they drive to the basket. Um, and so obviously, you know, Anthony Davis is kind of a more of a, a unicorn type, uh, you, you could say, but, uh, but, but yeah, so I think you're exactly right. It just, the, the pieces that were brought there, you can't build a super team uh, with, you know, with, with, kind of similar type players and you can build a super team with with start with NBA stars and I think that's where LeBron found success at the two other places that he was in Miami and Cleveland uh, and then kind of just 
I think it almost got complacent, right. Or, 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 or lazy to an extent and just, you know, well, we'll yeah. you know, obviously, right. We'll get AD that worked out, but then it's like, okay, well, there's, who's the next big name. Uh, I don't know. We can't go hard and we can't go, uh, you know, Dame, I don't know who we, Oh, we'll just, we'll just get Russell Westbrook. Right. So it's like almost kind of this, you know, they're, they're kind of just desperate for, for like another star just to have a big three because everybody needs a big three these days. Uh, and then that kind of just dwindled out, you know, dwindled from there. So I'm, I think, you know, right. I, I kind of side with you. I hope that, that there's kind of some positivity that, that they can kind of take a turn here. Um, but at this point it's, it's, I mean, at least, hopefully they can at least make the playoffs, but um, I guess nonetheless, LeBron's going to definitely go down with another, Probably another scoring title, if we're, if we're being honest, which is crazy at his age. So, uh, so definitely props to LeBron, I guess, despite all the craziness going on around him. Yeah, in the NBA scoring title, I mean, he's missed quite a few games this year. Like, although his points per game might be pretty high, you know, around 30, yeah. it's still like he's missed games. If you look at the total points, he's not... You know, he's in like the top 10 range, I think, but, you know, not quite number one there. So, you know, it's still not perfect for LeBron there, but he's been healthy for most of the year. So uh, not many complaints. Will, do you think that if LeBron or not if when LeBron passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for first (laughs) place in total points ever, do you think that that'll end the conversation of who is the goat do you think that I'll that'll solidify LeBron as as the best ever unless LeBron comes out and wins another two championships you know there's always an argument for Michael Jordan now you know if when he does pass Kareem uh you know assuming he doesn't have any catastrophic injuries you know like it's just another part of his resume. And at the end of the day, when you finish a career with 34,000 points or 36,000 points, you know, it, it's not the biggest difference. But the fact that it is number one, that it's not just, you know, a number. It's that I was the best at doing this. I have the most points. It, you know, it ha- it holds another level of respect i guess to it and especially of someone like kareem yeah there was a there was a stat the other day that i saw that it was before he passed um before he passed carl malone for second there was i think it was like a week before there was a stat that said that he's the first player ever to have ten thousand points ten thousand assists and ten thousand rebounds in his career which i think that that was that's even better i think than you know just a a one stat or like a one-dimensional, um, you know, point stat that, yeah, you can look at it as, okay, he was a great scorer, um, but he was also, you know, he's also a great basketball mind, you know, a great assister, a great rebounder, everything. So, yeah, he's, he's I think he's the best all-around player. But, again, yeah, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to convince anybody, especially the, <laughs> you know, the, the oldies out there. You're not going to be able to convince them that, Michael Jordan wasn't better, but yeah. Yeah, and here we are. I mean, I just get the ESPN notification. LeBron James is out tonight with an ankle injury, and Anthony Davis is still out with his foot injury. So, yes, dude. <laughs> the, not get, not getting too much better there. Yeah, um, the yeah. 2020 Lakers said they faced adversity, but, I mean, when you just don't have your two best players, it's, it's not yeah. easy. 
and and I think too during that bubble run, I mean, it was obviously weird for everyone. Like the Heat, you know, they were the five seed and they got to the finals because they played really hard together and Jimmy Butler kind of held that team together. Um, and then I think just the, the Lakers, I think they won because just their shooting, right? I mean, you had like AD had shot the best in his entire yep. career just during that, you know, during that finals. Uh, End of like, the Denver series. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you mentioned, Danny Green and THC, like they were both on fire too. So I think that to a certain extent, you know, they, they kind of became the Warriors for a little bit there in, uh, <laughs> in Orlando. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to transition back to, back to the New York sports. I mean, we kind of mentioned a little bit, you know, obviously you, you, you know, you, you were able to go to a lot of the games and stuff and, and you know, I kind of hate to to almost put the same kind of vibe that we were just talking about with the Lakers, but it's almost kind of similar in New York, especially with the football teams. Um, you know, you <laughs> mentioned the Giants and, and obviously the Jets are there as well. What kind of what are your takes on, on those teams where they're at right now and, and maybe what what the future holds uh, for those for those both those football teams in New York? So we'll start with the Giants because I'm a Giants fan. I was able to make it to the Week 18 game against Washington, so I can say that I went to the last game of the Joe Judge era, and thank goodness that is the last game of the (laughs) Joe Judge era. And you know what? If they hire him back one day for some reason, that means you will have had to do something really great between now and then. So, uh, you know, happy to say that he is no longer our head coach. And Brian Dable, I mean, it can really only go up from here. Uh, At this point, what's going on is we hire the new general manager, uh, Joe Shane, from Buffalo. And he brings in Brian Dable, lots of Buffalo connections. They have signed quite a few Buffalo free agents. Uh, offensive linemen or two, uh, as well as a couple others. They bring in Davis Webb, who the Giants actually drafted uh, before Daniel Jones, I want to say 2017, but he was uh, on Buffalo last year. So it seems like they're bringing in a lot of uh, players to act like corporate trainers is the analogy I've heard used to help facilitate and bring in the new system, Brian Dable, Joe Shane, people that they're comfortable with. Uh, and they're all really one or two year contracts. So it's really a stopgap solution here. Uh, if Daniel Jones does turn out to have a good season this year and is the quarterback that we're looking for, then hey, you know, you sign him to an extension or a contract and you have Tyrod Taylor for another year and you're always going to need a good backup quarterback with Daniel Jones because, you know, you can expect him to miss two to three games a year at the minimum. So, you know, they've made a bunch of moves so far. They've cut players. They're in cap hell. Uh, Just like the Lakers, they really have an issue with the salary cap right now. They might wind up having to cut James Bradbury, one of their best players on defense. So, you know, there's a lot of things still to happen, and we'll see how the draft goes with two top seven picks, as of now at least. So, uh, you know, hopefully it'll only go up from here. Yeah, I feel like last year the the whole consensus on Daniel Jones was we'll give him this year and we'll give him a chance. And then if he doesn't prove himself, then, you know, he's out. 
but then they bring in all these, you know, they, they fire their general manager, <laughs> they fire their head coach, and then they bring in two, you know, two new guys. And so now I think everybody's saying the same thing this year, because again, last year, all the receivers got hurt. So it was, so then you couldn't even really blame Daniel Jones for being bad, um, even though Daniel Jones got hurt for a lot of the season too, I'm pretty sure. So um, yeah, so it was just, it was just a really bad situation last year. And so now it's, it's almost like a fresh new start. Um, and, you know, hopefully the Giants will be able to figure it out. But again, like Saquon Barkley is another guy. It's like him and Kish, Christian McCaffrey are the two running backs in the mm-hmm. league where their teams are actually thinking about trading them away from their team because like, even though, you know, even though they have so much talent and even, even though they're so good, but they're thinking about trading them just because they get hurt way too much and they just can't afford yeah. to pay them that much and them get hurt that much, you know? Yeah, so last year in the 2021 NFL regular season, Andrew Thomas, our 2020 first-round pick, left tackle, had more touchdown receptions than Kadarius Toney and Kenny Galladay combined. (laughs) He had one touchdown reception. I think it was in Tampa, uh, you know, like there's maybe one a week where an offensive lineman scores a touchdown in the NFL and neither our $72 million wide receiver nor our first round draft pick could score a single touchdown this year. Infuriating. And the thing is that isn't even directly having to do with Dave Gettleman, our former GM or Joe judge. So you can make the argument Joe Judge's coaching, wearing out players, causes the injuries, but still, it had nothing to do with his scheme, per se, and it's outrageous. Yeah, I think the best way to sum up the Giants season last year, besides, I think that stat actually does it. I was going to go with the uh, <laughs> kneeling on your own five-yard line on second oh. down and seven. <laughs> okay. <Line up. laughs> What do you think about that? I was literally sitting like behind that end zone oh, while it was happening. Oh like uh, <laughs> the first one, we were so confused. We, I was there with three of my friends. We traveled back to New Jersey for that week, and I was at the game with them. And we're like, what just happened? Like, are they taking a kneel? Like, what's going on? And then they do it a second time, and then we're even more confused. And then at halftime, I look at my phone and I open up Twitter and all of a sudden I'm seeing that the world is going crazy over this. And it, it's it's horrible. There were people uh, there wearing, just like Detroit fans, wearing the paper bags on their heads w- with, uh, you know, signs saying fire judge, fire Gettleman. It was brutal. They were at 25% capacity in an 80,000 seat stadium. It was, it was brutal. All right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to switch, um, you know, switch gears here and, and kind of go over to the Marvel side of your podcast. Now, again, you know, you, you, you told our viewers about or our listeners about your podcast um, and, you know, kind of how you are able to, um, to bring one athlete from one sport and then kind of compare them to another sport and how they would fit into that sport, um, how they would play it and how they would fare. Now that's, that sounds cool, but then you also have a Marvel side where you, you compare Marvel characters, I'm assuming to how they would fit into, um, you know, any kind of sport. Now, I want to know your process in this and I, 
you know, if you can give us a couple examples, that would be great too. But yeah, just walk us through how you compare, um, you know, how you compare these Marvel characters to sports and kind of the process that you go through on your show. Yeah. So uh, like I was saying before about, you know, athletes from one sport playing another sport, also fictional characters. I've done Star Wars and MCU. So the first Marvel uh, characters theme I did was MCU. I think it was heroes versus villains playing ice hockey. So my guest hosted, or my guest for that episode hosts a, uh, like a comics podcast basically. So each week they, you know, anyway, it's related to superheroes and they talk a lot of Marvel and, so he also plays ice hockey in like a beer league kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, I saw him and thought, hey, you know what? That's a good connection there. And from that point, so that one, I tried to, you know, bring in sort of a rivalry. So that one I did heroes versus villains. So I drafted a team of heroes. Uh, my guest, Anthony, he drafted a team of villains. And then, you know, we justify our picks and talk about how they would compare. And it really, a lot of times, winds up being more of a conversation about Marvel, about the MCU, or about whatever the players are from. And so we're sort of using uh, them playing ice hockey kind of like as a vehicle to bring in that discussion about all these different players. And then at the end, after we've each drafted teams, we draw some conclusions and, uh, and you know, we try to determine who we think would be a winner. Obviously, we're going to be biased towards the teams we picked, but the kind of thing like who has a higher floor, who has a higher ceiling, and... So I've done that now, uh, you know, with MCU characters a couple times. I had uh, like teams from Avenger or from Captain America: Civil War. What if they were playing against each other in basketball? Uh, so done a couple different episodes with the MCU there, and they're a lot of fun episodes because uh, you know, just when you have like what's it, twenty four, twenty five movies from them see you and you know you can talk about all of it in just about an hour so it's, it's a lot of fun yeah seriously it, it, and it sounds like a, a, a such a cool concept because you wouldn't and it's and it's also i think almost ironic because a lot of people think of athletes as superheroes right or or you know you look up to yep. someone as your hero right so i think that it almost it almost kind of goes hand in hand, but you're taking it a step further with that kind of creative aspect, bringing in, bringing in, you know, actual fictional, actual fictional characters. Sounds like an oxymoron there. <laughs> um, but so I, I even want to go, and like you said, a lot of that kind of ends up, you know, kind of going into a conversation about, about, uh, about the Marvel universe and me and Hayden, you know, we, we watched all the movies, you know, obviously from kind of the first timeline thing that, that went on, uh, obviously, you know, with with, uh, with Thanos and everything. So <laughs> I, I just kind of 
you know, I mean, obviously it's a sports podcast, but obviously, right. A ton of people watch the movies and follow, follow it. So what's your take on kind of what's going to happen next? I mean, obviously we've had the, the, the most recent Spider-Man movie was kind of the entering the multiverse. And I think that's probably where they're going to go for the next kind of villains that are going to appear and kind of, you know, making the next, uh, I guess, phase of movies here, but I haven't been too up on the news and kind of what Marvel's planning to do next. So I was just wondering if you had any insight on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too up on the news either, but I mean, the new uh, Doctor Strange movie coming out, Doctor Strange was one of my favorite MCU movies. Um, it, you know, he just that whole world there. And I think that Marvel has to be really careful with what they're doing here, because as soon as you start to bring in time travel and you start to bring yeah. in all of these more magical elements that... You know, obviously it's superheroes, so those aren't real powers. There's some magical abilities there, but when they have literal magic with no fake explanation, that's when it starts to get a little murky, and you can't go too deep in there because all of a sudden it gets super confusing. And, I mean, with the Loki show, you know, again, it was starting to get a little bit confusing there, and you can follow along, but... You know, when I, for example, watch whether it was WandaVision or Hawkeye and, uh, or not Hawkeye, well, Hawkeye too, but uh, Captain America and Falcon, uh, or no, what was that, Winter, whatever, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and all of the shows, and then we have to go on YouTube just to watch the breakdowns, you know, yeah. like we'll watch uh, New Rockstars, we like him, but he sometimes takes a little while to upload and it, it's extremely complicated. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I think you're exactly right, which is big picture. Yeah, they do have to be careful because it's in right. So it's one thing to kind of have magic without no explanation, but also what you were saying with the time travel thing where there's, there's, however many shows out there that do a time travel thing and, and movies and whatever. But the main problem is always there's time loops, there's, there's unfinished, there's plot holes, there's a lot going on where you're kind of thinking what happened here and there's no real explanation for like kind of, you know, where nothing really, you know, a lot of times things don't tie together too well. So obviously, you know, as we've discussed, you know, Marvel being one of the, probably the biggest, you know, movie producer and, and one of the richest in the whole world, they'll probably be able to figure it out or at least have enough smart, you know, smart enough people kind of working on that. But I think you're exactly right. And, and that's a, that's a really kind of wise way to look at it big picture instead of just kind of focusing on like, obviously, yeah, Dr. Strange 2 is going to be great. But like, you know, right. I, I think, I think you are, you're on, you're really onto something there with, you know, right. The creating the villains from the multiverse and then it kind of getting a little magic-y and weird and time loopy. So, uh, so yeah, so great points there. Yeah. I mean, you look at Star Wars and again, tons of magical elements there that aren't real, but at the same time, again, they have their fake explanations for things like the force. They, you know, developed a universe and, you know, they don't have as many of the kinds of things where you're like, well, how does that work? You know, whereas some things like the Infinity Stones, you know, okay, sort of okay explanation. But I mean, the time travel, it gets, it gets a little murky. Yeah. Time travel is really hard to follow too. Like I think the MCU was already 
hard to follow enough <laughs> to the point where like you know i would get confused watching some of the mu- some of the movies and i didn't even get to watch loki or wandavision or any of the shows i know that those are kind of like supplementary they're not really you know essential to understanding mm-hmm. the whole story um and you know obviously they're helpful in, in some sense but yeah but I, I didn't get a chance to watch those and i mean i watched i think like pretty much all of the Marvel movies and I was even confused at some points. So yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, if, if they start getting too intertwined with with time travel, it's just not, it may not bode well for yeah. them. And they they even have like there's another third chapter to it, right? Like so this is only like the like the second phase or whatever. And they have like a whole nother phase after this one. So yeah, it's it it seems like it's not gonna end like ever, you know. It's, yeah, it's it's pretty the, crazy. The way I look at it, I say, hey, let's leave time traveling to Marty McFly. There you go. Yeah, dude. Marty, pick a fly. Yes, sir. Back to the future. All right. Well, Will, it was great having you on it. Uh, you know, we are we are at about 30 minutes here. So, yeah, you guys listening right now, make sure to go check out Substantiate Podcast, Will's podcast. Um, you know, it was it was a great time having him on. And yeah, check him out. Give him a little follow or subscribe or wherever on Spotify, Apple, whatever you guys use. And uh, yeah, make sure to to go give them some some support. We loved having you on, Will. If you want to give a little farewell right now, you can, and, and then we'll send you on your way. Yeah, yeah thanks include, for having me. Include your, uh, you know, any any web because I remember you did, you know, do a blog too. Include the website for that, your Twitter handle, anything for people to be able to, yep. to kind of find you. Yeah. Yep. So on Instagram and Twitter at substantiate pod and www.substantiatepod.com and over on the website it also has the links to apple or spotify or overcast wherever you may listen uh, so that's a good central location there uh, i mean for any of the blog articles i write uh, blog.statementgames.com uh, you can find it there or scroll through my Twitter feed to the last time I wrote an article and posted one. Uh, so that's probably the best way to find me. And if you wanted to get a hold of me for any reason, uh, just send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter is the best way. All righty. Well, well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you. And yeah, have, have, have a good rest of the day. Have a good rest of the week. Yeah, thanks, Aiden. And uh, if you guys ever have any hypothetical uh, sports matchups, I'd love to have you on my show as well. Of course. I will definitely hit you up about that if we <laughs> have that in the future. Alrighty. Now, transitioning into NBA, today we've got a couple topics here. Um, one is about the East, where the Celtics actually took the number one spot. And the Heat and the Bucks and the 76ers are all one game back um, and tied for second in the East. So we've got a really close race in the East in the East here. Um, and as we're a little, little over a month from the start of the playoffs, um, you know, we kind of want to start talking about this because it's becoming more and more relevant as time goes on. Right. So I'm going to ask this question to Matt first, and then I'm going to, you know, kind of give my thoughts on it as well, because I am a, sort of a Celtics fan. Again, I don't really follow NBA um, religiously, but uh, one one thing about the Celtics that I will say is that Ro- uh, Rob Williams just got hurt and he's like their start center for the year. He's like this athletic freak. Um, he just tore his meniscus. So he might be back for playoffs. He might not. Um, again, they said like, it'll be 
at least several weeks that he's out, which is the most ambiguous thing you could ever say. So yeah, that, that'll be that. Um, but yeah, Matt, I just wanted to get your opinion on how the, the East, how we see the East shaking out in terms of seeding and possible mashups and how we think that that picture will be um, as we head into the playoffs. Well, first of all, you don't need Robert Williams when you got big old Daniel Tice down there in the middle beating people up. Uh, he's okay. He's not that great. Anyway, so the Celtics, dude, I mean, we did, you know, we talked on the podcast about them to kind of begin the year, uh, maybe even around, you know, October, November, a long time ago. And we kind of said like, yo, they're not doing too well. And we actually, I think we talked to them to begin with kind of the, they started with a bad record and then we brought them up again because they were lacking hard. Because And we had the whole discussion on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And it was just, can they play together? Are they upset with each other? Obviously, they're great individual talents, but are they kind of meant to be on the same team together? Or should they just kind of blow this thing up? And I almost made the argument for kind of like, this doesn't seem to be working. You should probably just get a, you know, get, get rid of it, kind of start over. Um, well, I was completely proven wrong and everything was thrown back in my face because they have been the number one offensive team and the number one defensive team, like both rated number one in both for the past, like two months straight now. Um, it, it is, it is really amazing how well they're playing. And, and I think that, um, you know, their new coach has a lot to do with that. I think, you know, obviously you, you kind of had Brad Stevens transition from the role of head coach to the GM. Um, and, and then you brought in Udoka as the head coach. So I think he's been doing well, uh, kind of transitioning into being able to, and that was another thing we talked about, you know, kind of in that Celtics emergency pod back, back in the day where it was kind of like, you know, he Udoka was kind of like trying to you know get in their heads a little bit just be like hey guys let's try to play together as a team and stuff and I think that he just wasn't really reaching them too well but now he he must have flipped a stitch or something or, or figured out how to talk to them or maybe they just kind of you know figured out their different differences but because they are playing really well um and the, but the crazy part is and, and we're gonna keep saying this until the end of, you know until the, until the playoffs get here is we're talking about, and obviously, you know, the Heat have been on a great run, and they're they're playing super solidly. You had that, you had that fight there with uh, Udonis Haslam and Jimmy Butler last week, and that that looked a little scary. But I think that obviously, again, Eric Spolster, the coach there, he's he's got things rolling. He, you know, he he won't let his team go down uh, easily. And then obviously, right, the Bucks and the Sixers, who have been kind of perennial good teams here uh, in the East for the past past cup past you know several years. It's gonna come down to who's gonna get the one seed, but again. Who's at the eight seed right now? It's the, the Brooklyn Nets. Nets. Yeah. I mean, come on. And you don't have, you know, you don't have, you know, you know, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't have, who am I trying to think of? Um, I think, what? I think the, I, I think the, the general consensus though, is that the Nets will probably go up to that six or seven with yeah. Kyrie being back because of that new COVID rule that, that New York has made so that, Kyrie can essentially play in home games as well. So I think like from here on out, we might see them go up to the six or seven seed. But again, like Matt said, they, they are looming at the eight right now. And so if it does stay that way, then yeah, the Celtics or whoever's at the one seed will have to play them, which that's, I mean, you can consider the Nets the best eight seed ever. So. Yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, definitely. Um, but I think what would be interesting is that we've kind of thought about the Bucks and the Sixers as being like the two best teams in the East, right? The, the, the two favorites to come out of the East. And as it stands right now, they're the three and four seats. So even if the Nets get to that kind of, you know, six, seven mark, they're going to be playing a good team in the first round of the playoffs. And one of the, you know, three title favorites, honestly, you know, for the entire NBA championship is going to be out in the first round. So that's kind of what I'm excited to see as the East winds up here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and agrees with that. Again, I was going to kind of talk about 
the Celtics in the scope of the Nets being at that eight seed and kind of being that scary team down there. But again, we will probably see them move up in the ranks. Um, I'm, I'm still really confused on how the play-ins work. It's like, it's like the seven and the 10 seed play each other. Right. Yeah. So the seven plays the 10 and then eight play the nine. And the way that it works is really weird. If the higher seed wins, they automatically go get into the playoffs and that's it. If the lower seed wins, they play another game. And then if the lower seed wins again, and then basically the winner of that game gets to the playoffs. So it's, it's a, it's a really weird thing, but basically the way to think about it is if the lower, the lower seed, the nine or the 10 seed have to win two games in a row against the eight or the seven seed in order to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I see again, I've, I tried to kind of inform myself before this NBA season about what that exactly was, because you know, this, it's it's good to have that knowledge on this podcast, but thank you for Matt to kind of explaining that. And again, again, like that's something that our audience probably doesn't either doesn't know or doesn't, you know, didn't know exactly like how it worked, but yeah, it's basically like a, it's almost like a mini March madness, um, basically just, you know, single elimination. If the, if the better team wins and that gives the advantage to the better team, that's why, you know, everybody was mad. Like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want a 10 seed in the East being in the playoffs, but it's like, they do have to win two games in a row against a seven seed that is pretty hot at the time. So like, it's not, you know, it, it wouldn't be that it's not really practical, but at the same time, it's like, you're still giving an, giving an advantage to the higher seed. Um, and, and so that they will most likely make it in, but yeah, I, I think the plan is like one of those things that a lot of people don't really, don't really like, but again, it's like, the, you know, it, I feel like it doesn't really affect the playoffs as a whole as much because we usually see the higher seeds get to the the uh, conference finals and then the finals as well. So it doesn't doesn't really matter that much. But Matt, you can take away with the with the second topic here. Yeah. So the second topic is going to be all about the Jazz, and I think that they've kind of been a little bit forgotten here, especially as the Suns have kind of taken over their prominence, you know, when it comes to the West. The Jazz had the most regular season wins last year. They were the number one seed by a long shot. They got upset in the second round of the playoffs. And so this year was kind of supposed to be their comeback season, right? And, and, you know, kind of coming off the loss last season, but, you know, they they have such a good, they just, they just play. I remember watching them a lot last season and it was just like, you knew that every time they stepped on the court, they were going to make like 25 threes and they were going to take like 40 of them. But if you're shooting, you know, 57% from three, you're winning a lot of games, you're scoring a lot of points. And so obviously they had, they had the six man of the year, Jordan Clarkson on top of, you know, Bogdanovich and, and, you know, and you had obviously Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are kind of the, the stars there. Um, this season they've added Mike Conley. He's playing well. So it's like they have all the pieces and they've played well before. They're just, it's not really coming together this season. A lot of that has to do with Rudy Gobert because he's been on and off hurt. He was, he played for the first half of the season, but I think on and off missed almost all of the kind of the rest of the season up until now. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's their president presence inside. Donovan Mitchell has, has played, he's played really well in the games that he has played, but he's also kind of been out some too. So a lot of it is a lot of it is injuries, but obviously as we've been saying, like, you kind of have to take advantage of every opportunity you have, uh, you know, when it comes to the West, especially when, you know, a lot of people say the regular season is too much and the regular season doesn't matter in the NBA, but you know, when it comes to preferential seating, it matters. And so now, you know, the, the, the jazz are kind of sitting at the fifth seed here in the West and they're honestly going the opposite, opposite direction uh, of the teams around them. You know, like, like the Grizzlies, like the Mavericks who are kind of, you know, winning a lot more games than they're losing nowadays. So, 
My question here is, is it fair to say that the Jazz were a one-hit wonder last year? And if so, what went wrong? I don't really know if they were a one-hit wonder. Again, there we see teams like this kind of switch back and forth between, you know, being a, a two seed and, and being a five seed. I don't think it's that much of a difference. Again, like Matt said, seeding does matter a lot in the NBA playoffs. Um, and as I was saying, you know, like the higher seeds usually do make it to the conference finals and the finals in general. But I don't think that the the Jazz, you know, it, I don't think that they were a one hit wonder. I think it's it's more or less. I don't want to compare it to the Lakers situation, but it sort of is like it's again, the Lakers have a very unique situation where they have, you know, possibly the best player in the NBA and who has been the best player consensus player in the NBA over the past, you know, 20 years, basically. And right. Like they, they, the Lakers situation is very specific to them and they have a lot of veterans and things like that. But I don't think that you can really single out the jazz and say, okay, well, you know, you guys were so good last season because a lot of, a lot of people like didn't really, I feel like didn't really see the jazz as, as that, or didn't really expect them to be that good of a team. You know, Joe Ingles is a guy that like nobody even knew who he was, you know, before like two or three seasons ago. So, but, but, you know, he's come on the scene he's been one of their best players as well. Donovan Mitchell has missed a lot of time with injuries and everything like that. So I think that like the jazz have always kind of been, they've always kind of been, you know, considered as a, as a pretty good team, but they've never really been expected to do much just because they haven't had all their pieces together. Um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, Matt kind of mentioned that um, Rudy Gobert has been, you know, has been hurt and Donovan Mitchell has been playing a lot too, but they just haven't really been impressing. So I don't know if you can really single them out and say, you know, they, they're, they're a disappointment this year because again, they're still going to make the playoffs and I mean, most likely barring anything crazy happening, but yeah, they're still going to make the playoffs and they're probably going to be in somewhere in that middle tier. But again, obviously they won't be the one seed this year. Um, and, you know, they're going to be in that middle tier, but that may be better for them. Right. Cause like they won't really have much expectations. And so they won't really, um, you know, need to prove themselves to anybody and they won't have so much pressure on their backs because I feel like the jazz are, are kind of that kind of team or not kind of that kind of, they are that kind of team. Um, where having too much pressure on their backs um, can can really hurt them in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I and I think that for me, I think they kind of are a one hit wonder. Whereas a team like the Suns, I think is just they're built better and they have better leadership. I think the the combination of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell is really what's doing them in. And there's been storylines that have come out over the past year kind of saying, like, they don't really like each other. They play well together. But, you know, behind the scenes, there's some kind of some troubles. So I think that's probably what's been happening with the Jazz here and kind of why they're reeling a little bit or at least just not looking as good as last year. Um is, is more just internal stuff and whether it be their players not not liking each other. Uh, and obviously, as I mentioned, too, injuries are always a big part of that. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we've seen the Clippers like they're like the seven seed right now, but they they're playing with literally guys who I've never even heard of before because Kawhi Leonard I, Kawhi's not even going to come back. I mean, the, the Clippers are probably going to make the playoffs, but like he's not even supposed to come back for the entire year. Uh, and then obviously Paul George is actually returning tonight as of Tuesday here, uh, March 29th, but he's been out for the last like month or two. So that kind of stuff can really hinder 
your performance as a team in the regular season. And then if you get your players back for the playoffs, you kind of always have a chance. And, it, and we're talking about a similar thing with the Nets on the other side in the East, right? Where like they lost their players for a bunch. They were the one seed unanimously. Then they lost their players for a bunch. And Kyrie, the whole, you know, COVID thing came around. And, and now we're talking about them as like an eight seed that can win a championship, right? So like, that's kind of what you have here similarly with the Jazz. But the problem is with the Jazz, we haven't seen that playoff performance right we've seen them as a regular season team the past couple years I think they were the four seed two years ago they were the one seed last year so they gotten a lot of regular season wins haven't been able to put it together in the playoffs unlike a Nuggets team who was a good example of kind of a team that they're always the four seed or the five seed but you always see them ended up in the conference finals right or or, or the conference semifinals and, and they're always playing good basketball and obviously Jokic is probably gonna win the MVP again which he is completely deserved of uh, I think I shouted that out a couple a while ago where I was like I don't know why Embiid's getting all the hype yeah, he's hype, but Jokic is, is is the reason that team is even relevant. So that's kind of what we're what we're seeing here with the Jazz, in which they kind of do have. Hayden mentioned the pressure thing, and I think it's I agree you have less pressure on you if you're a four or a five seed. But the problem is if you're if you're if that if you're the team that was the one seed and couldn't perform, and now you're the four or five seed and you still can't perform, that's where I think we're going to start to see a little bit of questions being raised. Yeah, I think you're right, and again, like the. The four or five, you know, if you are the four or five seed, no matter, like, if, if you win your series, you're going to have to play, what, the most likely the one seed next, right? So it's just like, that's, you know, that that's kind of tough to do there. So I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what happens with with the, uh, the Jazz. Because, again, and Matt kind of wrote this topic, so I didn't. I didn't really have any input on it until we started talking about it, but yeah, it, it, now that I'm thinking about it, it is kind of interesting because we, we have been talking about the Warriors and the Lakers and um, we haven't really talked much about the Grizzlies, but they, you, you hear about them way too much in the media. So <laughs> you have their, you have your share of Grizzlies talk there. So um, yeah, so that, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. We are going to round out this episode now. Um, again, it was, it, it felt a little bit short to us. I know that because we, we had our interview and then we kind of had our, our time to talk here for about 30 minutes or so, but really great episode today. I think I'm, I'm excited to see how it turns out again. This is going to be our first ever interview um, with, with it, with a special guest. And then we're going to have, we have a bunch of interviews set up for the, for the future. We're going to try to do it. We're going to try to do most interviews on Saturdays because that's kind of our freelance episode where we, can talk about things other than sports and kind of try to connect those things to sports. Um, That's what we're going to do with a lot of our interviews. And then we're going to have some interviews like the one today with William um, that really connect to sports and that are, you know, mostly about sports, I guess is, is how you could say. So yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be fun to do in the future. And again, we're going to have a lot more set up for you guys coming up here soon. So be on the lookout for those and be on the lookout for our Saturday episode, which will feature another interview with another guest that we had in an interview with yesterday. So yeah, we've, we've got our interview, our interviews piled up here to say the least. So that'll round out this episode. Thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you on Saturday. Saturday.